The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Therapeutic Approach to Growth with your host, Brooke Wagner. Each week, this program will focus on interests and expertise pertaining to special needs individuals and their families. We'll help you open up and connect while sharing powerful information. Now, here is Brooke Wagner. Welcome, everyone, to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. I am host, Brooke Wagner, and our goal of the show is to offer support, resources, and most importantly, hope to the special needs community. And today, I have with me Jan Ken, licensed clinical social worker and EMDR specialist, and Carol Miller, author of the book, Every Moment of a Fall. And we will be discussing Carol's journey to healing using EMDR. So welcome, uh, Jan and Carol. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so excited to have you on and just learn more about this um, support. And um, I know, you know, many of our clients here at TAG have um, benefited from EMDR, and I'm still kind of learning about it myself. And so I'm just so excited to have this opportunity to share this with our listeners and I'm grateful for both of you to be on today, and um, I'd love to start with you, Jan, and just kind of hear more about your background and experience. Sure. Well, as you said, I'm a licensed clinical social worker in my practice. I have a full-time private practice in San Francisco, and then I have a small, also a small practice in Oakland. And EMDR is just one of the tools that I use in treating and working with people. So I got my MSW from Smith College School of Social Work, which is in Northampton, Mass. And I have a few specialties in my practice. One is working with adolescents, which led me to, I used to be the um, supervising social worker at the University of California, San Francisco, and they used to have, no longer, unfortunately, they don't anymore, but an adolescent inpatient psych unit. And because I'm so interested in trauma, that's what led me to get trained in EMDR. So I was trained by Francine Shapiro in 1993. Francine is a psychologist who developed this treatment model. That is an exciting and incredibly well-researched treatment model. Okay. I'm excited to, to learn more about it. And um, as I mentioned, I've had a, some opportunity learning about it, um, but really um, would like to know, you know more about what it is and how it works and have you share with our listeners you know, what the treatment entails and what it stands for. Sure. Well, let me start with what it stands for. It stands for... EMDR is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. And I originally moved from California from the East Coast. And so to me, when I heard about this in the early 90s, late 80s, I thought this was just kind of California woo-woo treatment and totally bizarre. But it sounded fascinating. The more I heard, learned about it, I saw that there was a lot of research being done about this treatment. And it really looks fantastic. So that's why I decided to get trained in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... We do know when a person is really upset, their brain processes information in a different way than it does ordinarily. It really can't process information. So normal memories, you know, something will happen. Over time, we sort of lose the memory. You may remember pieces of it, 
but it processes through. But with a trauma, the memory becomes frozen in time. So when we remember it, it can feel as badly as when we went through it the first time. People have heard about PTSD, when there are mm-hmm. people have flashbacks, things happen physically, emotionally. Um, the sounds, the smells, the images, the feelings haven't changed. They still are as charged as they were in the beginning in a, in a severe trauma. And these mm-hmm. types of memories have a lasting negative effect. Obviously, it interferes with how a person sees the world, how they relate to other people. It can mess up uh, your whole life, actually. So EMDR seems to have a direct effect on the way the brain processes information. So after a successful course of EMDR, a person can recall the memory, but no longer, they don't feel those, they don't see the images, they don't feel the emotions, the sounds, all those negative pieces that were associated um, with the memory are, are no longer upsetting. It seems to be similar, you know, people have heard about REM sleep, rapid eye movement, which occurs when we dream. And EMDR seems to be similar in that it's a physiologically based therapy that helps the person see disturbing material in a new and much less distressing way. Mm -hmm. Um, I can talk to you. You asked also about what exactly happens. So one of the things people wonder is how fast it works or how slowly does it take. Mm -hmm. And it really moves therapy forward much more quickly, Mm -hmm. as is my experience. Um, you know, if somebody comes in, I've, I've, the amount of time really depends on what's going on, what the, the amount of trauma that they've experienced, and also if there are other emotional issues involved. I've worked with several people who've come after a robbery, for example. So mm-hmm. some who, who were robbed at gunpoint. And they've come, uh, since the experience, they've been fearful. Some of leaving their home. Some of they don't want to drive because something's happened in their car. For example, the robbery happened in their car. Some haven't wanted their kids to leave the house due to mm-hmm. these irrational fears, what might happen to their children if, they're leave, if they leave. And the fears are often related not only to what happened, but also where it happened, was it day or night. Those kinds of things mm-hmm. can also be, can be part of it. And with a one-time trauma like that, when there isn't a whole lot of trauma be, that's happened previously, these can often be resolved in one to three sessions, very fast. Wow. Now, some... Yes, very fast. If someone's had an experience of long-term repeated trauma or lots of traumas through their life, it's, of course, going to take much longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sessions are often an hour and a half because, Mm. you know, at the end of a session, a therapy session, your therapist will say, well, it's time to end now. But you can't really do that when you're doing MDR because if you're in the middle of, your client's in the middle of something, you can't say, our time is up, sorry. You know, you have to, Mm -hmm. we need longer times often to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I can discuss. I can uh, describe the eight. There are eight phases of treatment. Okay. I'll try to go through these. Um, so I'll try to go through them quickly, but hopefully you'll get a sense of what what really what it's like. So okay. the first is history taking and setting up treatment goals. This is part of any therapy, right? You want a therapist get a thorough history of the person. We want to all know all the traumas that they've experienced, all their past and current difficulties, what, what they're coming in for, what's the problem. Mm-hmm. And this information leads to identifying what the goals are for the treatment. So what, these, what are the specific experiences and issues that the therapist and client determine is the most important to work on? Mm-hmm. Next is preparation. This is when the therapist, we teach the client some specific techniques that will help deal with any emotional disturbances that may come up during the process or between mm-hmm. sessions. Because sometimes people, they can, everybody's different, I found, but people can re-experience that trauma, but mm-hmm. they're no longer there. They're obviously not there. They're in a safe place 
what the preparedness does is help them to have a space that they can use and kind of go to in their mind to feel, to calm themselves down, to self-soothe if stuff comes up. Mm -hmm. The third is assessment, and this is when the specific trauma is identified. So person chooses, the client chooses a specific, what we call a target, and think of it like a snapshot that best represents the memory, and often it's the most disturbing part of the memory. Mm -hmm. So one of the very cool things about EMDR in this way is that if somebody comes in and they're really too uncomfortable to talk about what happened, they don't have to. As long as it's in their head, it's going to work. So, mm. for example, somebody might say, okay, I have a picture. This is something that my uncle did to me. I don't need to know what it is the uncle did to them. As long as they've got that snapshot in their head, we can work with it. Um, then the next piece is choosing, which they choose a negative self-belief that goes along with the memory. And that picture, I think Carol's initial negative self-belief in relation to to the plane accident in which she was 16 years old, her stepsister died. I think it was, it's my fault. And even mm-hmm. though intellectually in her head she knew, obviously, this wasn't her fault. It wasn't true. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, it felt like it was true. Mm-hmm. So it's a verbal statement based on the negative emotions that still existed from the event. Mm-hmm. Other negative self-beliefs could be, um, for other issues, could be um, other situations, could be I'm worthless, I'm helpless, I'm bad, I'm dirty, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's generally an I statement. Next, they take a positive self-belief, something that, that represents what you want to believe. So with Carol, I think it was, it's not my fault. Others mm-hmm. might be unworthy, did the best I could, those kinds of mm-hmm. things. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the negative self-statement is from the past, and the positive self-statement is like what is true now, what's, what the reality is now. We then assess how true or false. One of the things that EMDR does constantly is always looking at are there changes happening using um, a system of numbers. You know, are you feeling, does does this feel more intense, less intense, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The positive statement, does it, from from one to seven, how true does it feel? What you, not what you think about it, but what you feel Mm -hmm. that that statement is, okay? Um, So we can keep, we keep assessing as we go along if change is happening. Are you feeling more and more that the positive belief is true, which is hopefully what's going mm-hmm. on in general. Mm-hmm. The client also identifies the negative emotions that go along with that picture, with that target. So, for example, fear, anger, rage, helplessness, whatever they might be. And then the physical sensations. Some people might be their stomach tightens, their breathing gets shallow, they start to sweat. Some people, maybe their hands clench up and they have become fists. Mm-hmm. So that's, again, what they associate with that picture, that snapshot. And then we rate the degree of disturbance of that from 1 to 10. So, again, being able to always assess, is change happening? Is a feeling, if a feeling begins at a 10, the most intense, we want it to, to go down to a 1 or a 2, to, and then you know it's resolved. Mm-hmm. So those are the first three steps. And each of these go on in almost every session to varying degrees. Okay, um, and these three lay the groundwork for the desensitization and reprocessing of the target specific targeted events. Mm-hmm. So next is four is desensitization, and this is kind of it's not really magic, but sort of where it feels like magic kind of does. Originally, eye movement, like we see in REM sleep, rapid eye movement, was used, but we've learned that um, what's called bilateral stimulation doesn't isn't just the eyes moving back and forth quickly. It can also be, I have tappers, a lot of therapists use tappers, so that something that the client holds in each hand and it does a tapping sensation back and forth. Also use earphones, so there can be a bilateral or side-to-side 
um, tones in mm-hmm. your ears. Um, so those, those also work for many people. And these really are used to desensitize and reprocess the memory and, again, the images, the feelings, the beliefs, and all the body sensations that go along with that traumatic memory. Mm. In this process, sometimes other memories, which might be necessary to target, come up, and we do those later, kind of keep track of them all. We may have to go, again, after, you know, when one is resolved, may have to go to something else to really clean out the whole um, experience. So... Somebody who's trained in EMDR has different techniques and kind of that, that we use to maximize treatment. And again, constantly measuring the changes, as I mentioned before. Um, always wanting to know are the feelings experienced less? Does the self belief feel more true? Because that's mm-hmm. what we want to happen. The fifth stage is installation. Okay, everybody wants to leave their, their session feeling better than they did when they came in, right? Mm-hmm. And part of ending each session involves what did I learn? What did I learn here that's moving me forward? Um, so, you know, what helping me towards increasing the strength of that positive self-belief and away from the negative one. So ultimately we want to recognize, for example, when the event occurred, for, in some instances, let's say that the person was a child when this occurred. and But the self-belief, although they're an adult now, the belief still feels as though they were that child. They developed when they were a kid. So... Maybe they felt helpless then. Now they're an adult. They're no longer helpless. You know, EMDR can't make, it's not magic, so it can't make anybody get rid of appropriate negative feelings about something or make anyone believe something that is positive if it's not positive. But but it helps them to feel stronger. So in order to truly feel strong, the person, the client may say, okay, you'll realize, well, I need to take self-defense classes. Then I'll really feel like I can take care of myself and I will no longer be helpless. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they may identify needs that they need to do to feel better and do those. Okay, the sixth is the body. Now, through lots of EMDR sessions, and there's been a lot of research that shows that we hold things in our body that um, are unresolved. That are, for, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about stress, people feeling stress in their body, it increases cortisol and how, negative, how bad that is for us, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and the other piece of this is always assessing and looking at the body. Um, so in order for treatment to be successful, there needs to be no body tension connected to the original target as well. The seventh step is closure. And again, wanting to leave feeling better than when he came. Mm-hmm. So if the trauma isn't resolved completely at the end of a session, we'll, we'll again give some various relaxation techniques, more self-calming exercises to do in case, as I said, if stuff comes up during the week, the other thing is tell people what they might expect between sessions because sometimes things come up. People are different. Mm-hmm. Some people just uh, will have memories that might come up, dreams, mm. maybe nightmares. And so if they do, we want, every, we want the client to journal them, to write them down so we can use them in the session. And sometimes those are targeted depending on what is happening, what's going on. Again, some people have nothing come up, but you need to be prepared just in case. Mm-hmm. And the last one is reevaluation. Again, I know I say this constantly, but we're always evaluating the progress of what's going on. At the beginning of every session, we evaluate the degree of change. What's the level of that emotional distress connected to the target or that snapshot that we're working on? Has it gone up? Has it gone down? Has it stayed the same? Mm-hmm. And this is re- really vital. A lot of therapies don't have this. It's just, are you feeling better? 
you're feeling worse. But this is really mm-hmm. much more specific, I think. It's, it's vital to determine the success of the treatment over time. Mm-hmm. If somebody isn't improving, we need to, to figure out why. And based on that, we need to you know, reevaluate our approach in working. Mm-hmm. So that's basically, in a nutshell, <laughs> a very quick yes. <laughs> overview, right? Well, I so love that. Sense. That was really, really helpful. <laughs> thank you so much for going through all those steps. And, you know, I love that it, it sounds like it's a very systematic approach to yeah. treatment. Um, mm-hmm. And it really does include the, the patient in, you know, increasing their self-awareness and their participation in the process, you know, which is Absolutely. probably, you know, the most powerful way to approach treatment um, is to have that, you know, constant engagement with the patient and um, that self-awareness piece is just so huge. And um, it sounds like it makes a lot of sense. And, and I haven't heard uh, that list before. Um, so that was really helpful. Um, we're going to have to go to a break in a minute. But before we do, um, just really quickly, um, do your patients require ongoing work once you've kind of established that they have uh, reached their goal, um, do they need to come back for kind of tune-ups, or how does that piece work? No, not really. Once someone's attained, reached their goal, their the trauma has been resolved, it's been reprocessed, that's the end, unless something new comes up. With mm-hmm. Carol, she did come back um, a few times, and we worked on different things, and that may happen with people, mm-hmm. but it's really up to them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of sort of the guide. Right, right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It's wonderful. Oh, that's so great. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And um, when we come back, we're going to turn to Carol and learn more about your journey, Carol. And um, so with that, we'll just take a few minutes, a uh, few minute break and we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At Therapeutic Approach to Growth, we offer comprehensive and holistic supports to individuals with developmental and acquired disabilities. Our programs include parent education and guidance, speech therapy, occupational therapy, educational and behavioral support, and counseling. We assume competence and believe in treating the entire family system. We offer both in-person and long-distance services. We support our clients in any environment, from home to school and beyond. Mention this show for a free consultation. To learn more, you can reach us at tagforgrowth.com. Therapeutic approach to growth. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. 
Welcome back. I'm host Brooke Wagner here, and today I have with me Jan Ken, licensed clinical social worker, and Carol Miller, author um, of the book Every Moment of a Fall. And we are discussing Carol's journey to healing using EMDR. And um, so, Carol, let's turn to you now. Um, I'd like to learn more about your background and your journey through this process. Sure. So um, I guess the place to start would be with the airplane crash, which was the reason, the, the thing that Jan and I focused on um, when I finally got into EMDR therapy. That happened when I was 16. Um, I was in a private plane with my parents and my 12-year-old sister, and um, my dad was piloting. And apparently there was a carbon monoxide leak in the, in the plane, um, I unbuckled my seatbelt early on and to, you know, to take a nap, and then I couldn't wake myself up um, when I felt the pressure changing in my ears, which is the signal that we're, we were coming in for a landing. So um, it seems that I was, I mean, we were all uh, knocked unconscious, and um, I don't have any memory of the crash, um, I started to regain consciousness afterwards on the ground. Mm. Um, We were, uh, it was about 30 minutes before anyone found the crashed plane. And um, Mm. once that happened, the others were taken out of the plane quickly, but I was trapped inside. My arm, my right arm was pinned beneath the nose of the airplane and I couldn't pull it free. So um, there was a, I, as I was coming, becoming more and more conscious, I realized that there was a police officer uh, who had crawled into the wreckage with me and was talking to me, trying to help me, um, help him figure out what was going on and how they could get me free. So I was mm-hmm. in there for quite a long time um, with the concern that the plane was going to blow up because there was gasoline everywhere. And, um, you know, it was a quite a scene. Um, Mm -hmm. finally they, although they had, um, dispatched a surgery team to amputate my arm, um, they managed to, the, the firefighters managed to essentially break apart the, the nose of the plane and get my arm free before it had to be amputated and eventually, I made it to the hospital, and that was where I was told in the emergency room that um, my my dad was in surgery, my mother was in critical condition and might not live, and that my 12-year-old sister was dead. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, on the other hand, after all of that, had no injuries um, I had no broken bones. I had, you know, head trauma because my head had smashed into various things during the during the crash. So they wanted to keep me in the hospital for observation, but um, I essentially was not injured. Um. And they put me on the children's ward, and I wasn't allowed to visit my parents until the the day that I was discharged from the hospital, which was several days later. So, um, 
then I was separated from them because they were still in the hospital. I went to stay with um, with a family friend and, until they were finally um, discharged and their convalescence was extensive. They were just at home and I was at home trying to take care of them. Um, it was a pretty bleak experience mm-hmm. all the way around. Mm-hmm. There was no talk about, you know, it was not a family that was, um, it, I, I would say we were maybe therapy averse. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there just wasn't any any discussion or, of um, that we would get some help with this. Mm-hmm. So um, that just made things more difficult. I mean, it just, you know, there wasn't really an outlet um, mm-hmm. to, to deal with, with our, all of our traumas. And um, eventually what happened for me was I was, uh, so 19, three years later, I was a sophomore in college and I was really struggling. I, um, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't concentrate on my work. I just felt numb. I felt isolated. I was cycling in and out of depression. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. I didn't have those words, but that's what was happening, really. Mm-hmm. And so um, the dean of women actually intervened at the college, intervened, and um, I got into therapy mm-hmm. uh, for the first time. But my therapist didn't explain that what was happening to me was symptomatic of of PTSD, you know, that, that mm-hmm. this stuff was was connected to the trauma of the crash. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was such a thing as survivor guilt. You mm-hmm. know, I just didn't didn't know anything about any of these um, this stuff con- connected to trauma that is um, so well known at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My my therapist did tell me that I was mildly schizophrenic, um, but she didn't <laughs> explain what she meant by that. So. Uh, it wasn't a particularly helpful experience, um, to say the least. So I really um, just decided that therapy was not for me. Mm-hmm. And um, however, I mean, I continued to believe that the crash was my fault for a number of reasons. I mean, because of that survivor guilt thing, mm-hmm. um, but also because I had asked my dad to fly us that day. And so mm-hmm. that was just something that that latched on. That was one of those negative beliefs that Shan was talking about that just really festered inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I, I told myself that I didn't deserve to be alive, um, and I sought relationships that basically confirmed that belief, and I just mm-hmm. kept, you know, carrying my damage with me, and I kept repeating it. And mm-hmm. essentially, I just lived as close to being not alive as I could get. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it sounds like you've <clears throat> really been on an amazing, incredible journey that, um, you know, I'm excited to hear about how EMDR has um, healed you because that is a lot for one person to go through. And, you know, I know there's so many people out there that have had such traumatic events in their life and, and haven't been able to heal or haven't don't have the resources to heal. And so I'm, you know, so hopeful that you're, experience will be a healing one for others and 
and hopefully with your book, you know, that will, um, you know, be, you know, a piece to, to heal others as well. And, and being able to share your story, um, it's just an incredible one. And um, and so I'd love to hear, you know, what point you decided to seek EMDR, especially with your experience with that therapist. Um, it sounds right. like it may have been a lot to to make that leap of faith again to, to you know, trust in another individual in that way. Yeah. Yeah, and it was definitely not a leap um, because it was it was mm-hmm. like a twenty year period where um, I, you know, just just kept getting kind of slowly worse, and um, mm-hmm. but not allowing myself to consider getting that kind of help because I just didn't see it as helpful. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know. When I was close to 40 years old, I was in a relationship, um, a long-term relationship with my partner, and it was, and um, he insinuated to me that if I got help, um, he might not leave me, and so um, I was, I certainly didn't want our relationship to end. I had no sense of how I would be able to cope without, you know, on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I um, was desperate enough at that point to um, try therapy again, <laughs> it was mm-hmm. really out of desperation and, you know, more about this, this other person than about for myself. I mean, I think that's a good indication of how far away from myself I really was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I found a therapist. Um, in I was living in San Francisco at that point, and um, I found Connie Rubiano, who um, I started in therapy with. She's a wonderful woman, um, and we were doing talk therapy. Mm-hmm. And she was, you know, it was clear to me it was a completely different experience from when I was in college, and um, I trusted her um, early on, and um, she kept saying to me, you know, I think that the airplane crash has something to do with the difficulty that you're having today, and I kept saying, no, 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 it doesn't. That happened, you know, a long time ago. It's got nothing to do with what's going on now, and I don't want to focus on the past. I just want to focus on fixing this thing about what's happened, you know, what's gone wrong Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So... Slowly, she sort of kept at it, and about six months into our therapy, she said, you know, I've, she, she was working with a consulting group, and Jan, Jan Ken, was one of the people in the group, and Connie said to me, I've talked about your case with my group, and we think that um, this treatment um, might be helpful to you, and Connie couldn't remember what it was called. She she said it's a bunch of letters. I'm not really sure. <laughs> she wasn't really familiar with it. So um, she did. She was able to to come up with the letters. And I went home and I googled it. And I immediately said, No way! I'm not doing that. That sounds like. Uh, sounds like hypnotism and brainwashing and I don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. But I, 
I did. <laughs> I was able to read some more, and I um, somehow got up the courage to meet with Jan for the first time just to talk about um, what it might be like, and she gave me some things to read, and that made a big difference for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I was definitely very, very nervous about starting up the treatment with her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it sounds like it's it was a lot of unknown. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, this is, this is why it's so important. I think to a lot of people still don't know a lot about it. And this is why it's so important to share this information with the listeners um, so that people know this is a, a really powerful treatment that's available um, for those that have experienced trauma. And yeah. I, I really would love to have you, um, you know, share um, a little bit more about your sessions and, uh, you know, how many you had and, and what they looked like. Sure. Um, we, so Jan was talking earlier about um, the eye movement piece of it and how it um, initially the, the therapy was about moving your eyes back and forth, whether you followed a finger, the therapist think, finger or however that happened, we actually used um, the headphones that she talked about. So Mm -hmm. there was a a sound that moved back and forth from one ear to the other that created that same effect. Um, Mm -hmm. And listening to those tones just made the things that the targets, that snapshot that she talked about that we were focusing on, just Mm -hmm. incredibly present and vivid. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really like being there again mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would do the tones and focus on that um, that image in kind of short bursts, but they were really intense um, because they were so vivid. And I just the first session, um, she asked me to you know start uh, describing. We, we sort of talked about um, what happened the day of the crash, and she asked me as I was listening to, t- to the tones to kind of start with that. And we slowly moved along until um, we got to the point where I was trapped in the plane. And mm-hmm. listening to the tones and focusing on that, um, it was it, the feeling... The sheer terror that came over me was just, mm. it, it was incredible. I mean, it was like I was standing with my back to the ocean and this huge wave just came and, you know, wow. just overpowered me. It was, it was incredible. I just, it was like this bottomless sense of fear and grief. I, I felt totally alone, even though there were people all around me, you know, firefighters and paramedics and everything trying to get me out. But I was, I just felt completely alone and terrified Mm -hmm. and I just started weeping and Mm -hmm. um, just kept weeping so I mean I I think Jan was a little bit concerned that she might not be able to get me to stop um, by the end of the session because it was just so powerful and we kept doing these um, relaxation things to you know to, to move through it and, you know, more tears would come. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was just um, an incredibly powerful wave that moved through me. But the thing was, I never had that kind of 
overwhelming, you know, uncontrollable weeping again after that first initial session. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't it? That's incredible, right? I mean, it sounds like, you know, you just, you absolutely had to go through that experience to bring it to the surface um, and to, you know, process it so you weren't storing it anymore. um, Yeah. Correct and, and understanding, and um, it's just so wonderful that you were able to go through that and and have that experience. And um, we're going to have to go to a break in a minute here, but before we do, um, I'd love to hear how many sessions you had, and are sure. you and are you complete in your sessions? So we did in we did fourteen sessions in a row in that mm-hmm. first um, in that initial work that we did together. Um, and at the end of that, we just agreed, you know, the, the outcome of that was that I was no longer um, responsible for the, for the plane crash. I, my, my guilt about it was gone, and I believed that I deserved to be alive. That was uh-huh. the outcome from that. Wow, that is that is yeah. you know actually pretty quick, um, yes. you know considering you know the amount of trauma you experienced in all those years. That's so powerful and um, so amazing, and I'm just really excited to to hear more about your book and and that piece of your journey as well. Um, So with that, we're going to go to a quick break. And um, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk more about your book and and, um, have Jan chime in as well um, from her perspective on the treatment with you. And um, with that, we'll be back in a few minutes. Great. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. At Therapeutic Approach to Growth, we offer comprehensive and holistic supports to individuals with developmental and acquired disabilities. Our programs include parent education and guidance, speech therapy, occupational therapy, educational and behavioral support, and counseling. We assume competence and believe in treating the entire family system. We offer both in-person and long-distance services. We support our clients in any environment, from home to school and beyond. Mention this show for a free consultation. To learn more, you can reach us at tagforgrowth.com. Therapeutic approach to growth. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. 
Welcome back. The host, Brooke Wagner here. And today I have with me Jan Ken, licensed clinical social worker, and Carol Miller, author of the book, Every Moment of a Fall. And we are discussing uh, Carol's journey to healing using EMDR. And um, Jan, I just wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to share from your perspective about uh, Carol's journey towards healing using EMDR before we move on to her book. Yeah, there is stuff. Um, I think what Carol talked about, initially she saw Connie one week and then alternate weeks, I think it was, that she would see me, which is something Mm -hmm. that I've done with other therapists as well and I think can be really useful for people who have stuff like this or traumatic issues going on, they're working with somebody, and then they can go to someone who uses EMDR, who's able to do EMDR, and work with, you know, so that Carol would come, we would work through the EMDR, she would then the following week meet with Connie and they would talk about it. So she really processed more, uh, continually mm-hmm. processed intercessions with Connie as well, which mm-hmm. I think can be very, very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, like she said, our initial work focused totally on the accident. Mm-hmm. And um, which, so we would meet, as I said, all, as she said, alternate weeks. And what I would do is after each session, I would give Connie a summary. I'd call her, give her a summary of everything that had come up. What we'd, what we'd worked on, and in Carol's session, she would also tell her her experience of what had happened, and again, mm-hmm. they'd further process what was going on with Carol. And there, then there were other targets that came up later, or some came up at the time. Sometimes when you're working, what will happen is other things will come up that were traumatic, and we sort of would put them aside and say, okay, well, we'll see. We may work on those later, mm-hmm. other disturbing incidents. So um, we did that later. We later targeted and worked on several things, some having to do with her early family experiences that had really mm-hmm. impacted her. And then lastly, um, I think it was four years later, she came back um, around another incident that she was having nightmares about. And I think we, that might have been one session we resolved that. So it was pretty wow. fast. Wow. So tell somebody who, as I came to learn about her, in most things she learned, I would say in everything she does, she throws herself into the work. And when she makes a decision, she is there. And mm-hmm. she really was fearless about this. She was intent on changing her life, on becoming who she was and getting rid mm-hmm. of all this baggage that she was holding. And it was holding her back from being who she was. And she was really honest with herself. She was really honest with me. She at times had to make sacrifices so that she could continue to do the work. And mm-hmm. reading, when I read the final draft of her book, I, I really was struck by how much I stayed out of her way, <laughs> really, which mm-hmm. let, really let the work forward. Um, you know, and, and, and having, when somebody knows about EMDR, yeah, there's different way. I, I can't go into it really, but there's different, there's knowledge that you gain about how to help someone when they're stuck, those kinds of things. And I really was her guide, and together we worked through these experiences, lots of mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. And we began in 2004, you know, she talked about the primary event. She had been 16 years old, a teenager, young. And we mm-hmm. went through the past, without what happened, we went through the present, the things that, that and this is, this is typical in EMDR, what was impacting her currently, and then we kind of anticipated future events. Um, and her life is really different than it was. When we met, she, when she first came, I don't think I've ever told you this, Carol, <laughs> But she was kind of stooped over, kind of dull-eyed, <laughs> and she was working at a job far, far below her capabilities. She was in really stuck in this relationship that gave her absolutely no pleasure, just gave her pain primarily. And mm-hmm. she's now, you see her now, she kind of glows from the inside. She's 
uh, we're both very tall. She stands like really straight now. She's really mm-hmm. a gorgeous woman. She's living with, and she's married to a man that she loves and you know, she can be with somebody now and is married to this guy who loves her unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't have been her life without this mm-hmm. treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a wonderful and talented person. And I'm really honored to have played a role, this kind of role mm-hmm. in her life. That's amazing. So beautiful. And it just gives so many people hope that it can healing mm-hmm. can true healing can actually happen. And um, that's just beautiful. And I really want to uh, make sure that we have time to learn more about every moment of a fall. So let's turn to you, Carol, now and um, have you share a little bit of more about your book and what drove you to write it? Sure. Um, first, wow, that was amazing, Jan. Thanks for saying all those words. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I I knew because it was such a it was to, totally transformational for me this this experience you know my favorite metaphor for it is that I went in there and this accounts for the stooped over thing it was like I was wearing like layers and layers and layers of clothing and someone had sewn lead into the hem of all of these garments, you know, and just slowly, like each session of EMDR, I peeled off one heavy garment or, you know, like a sock or a glove or a a jacket or whatever and just left it on the side of the road and just walked a little bit freer and a little bit more upright until I was finally, I mean, I really felt like I was kind of walking a few feet off the ground at the end Mm -hmm. of it because it was just Mm -hmm. so enlightening and in all the ways that that you can think of that uh, around that word. So Mm -hmm. um, having had such an amazing experience that just changed everything for me, I I, I felt like um, I I needed to share that, and writing is one of the best things I do. And so I thought, I need to write about this. And initially, I was going to write an article. Um, I, one thing that, one experience that I had had was trying to find out information about EMDR that was written just for regular people like me, not for clinicians. You know, there's tons mm-hmm. of stuff that people who are trained um, trained therapists can read about this, but there's not a lot for just regular folks. So I thought I want to write something for for regular folks to read and, and learn about this. And it was going to be an article, and I wrote the article, and then it was just so much bigger than an article. Um, mm-hmm. And I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm just going to write this story to its end essentially, and um, it took a very long time indeed to do that. But um, I knew that I wanted to um, get it out there in a way that would hopefully induce people to think about, you know, um, that maybe something could work for them as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be EMDR, but just to give people a a hope that... um, you know, they don't have to live with misery. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's um, beautiful. <laughs> I think that, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I think it's just such a strong message and you know, amazing that you were able to get it down in a book so that other people can have access to your journey and, you know, everything that you went through. And um, it's just so important to share 
you know, since you have been able to overcome so much and um, it's just, it is a really important message to get out there. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that was um, so interesting about my EMDR experience that we haven't really touched on, but, and I know it's different for everyone and I don't think that mine was necessarily typical, but I'm a very visual person, a very visual thinker. And so I had these amazing visions, really, um, as part of my process that my psyche created for me, I guess, um, that were highly metaphorical, um, but they were so interesting to write about and to share, too. I mean, I, I saw birds flying out of my mouth and Jan, you know, um, suggested that I go look down my throat to see why I wasn't able to say the things that I wanted to say. And I talked to my child self several times on her suggestion. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were just all of these aspects of the treatment that were just so interesting, too, that I Mm -hmm. wanted to share with people um, that just make for a great story, really. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and it is yeah. it is fascinating, you know, how, you know, we are all, you know, very complex <laughs> human beings and, um, you know, really need to take the time to go through that process when there's been that much trauma. And, yeah. you know, I'm excited to be able to read your book and, and um, you know, learn more about it through that process. And um, I want to make sure that um, we share uh, where our listeners can find the book and um, if there's any other resource available online where they can learn more about it. Sure. So um, it's available online. It's, um, it's, it just came out about a month ago, so it's still in hardcover. So people can get it uh, the usual Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all of those online outfit outlets. It's also um, available as an audiobook and as an ebook. Hmm. Um, I like to encourage people to order from their local bookstore, um, mm-hmm. so that's also an option. Mm-hmm. And um, you can just Google the title "Every Moment of a Fall" and that will get you somewhere. That will get you to it. Or um, if you can't remember that, EMDR memoir will get you to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, I have an author website where I have a lot of, a lot more information about the book and about EMDR and my blog, um, which talks about sort of the journey after, after the fact, mm-hmm. um, after the therapy. So that is um, carol-e-miller.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's great to have those resources available um, to the community. And um, I want to ask really quickly, I'm sure you get this a lot, but um, what is your comfort like today with flying? Oh, well, um, it's mm-hmm. interesting because I was never, strangely enough, I was never afraid to fly. Um mm-hmm. I flew very soon after the accident. Um, I flew on a commercial flight, um, and I, I didn't really think about that for a long time. But that was one of the things, one of the great things about writing this book is that it was, it wasn't for me. It was an almost like an extension of my own therapy. In fact, it was because I, mm. I, you know, I went back through all of this material again and ordered it into a story, and so mm-hmm. that was very. Um, 
very enlightening, um, and I, I learned a whole lot more in the process of doing that. And one of the things that, that kind of came to light is that the trauma was less, was not really about the crash. It was about being trapped on the ground. Mm-hmm. And it was also about the relationships, um, the very complicated relationships that surrounded it and that family stuff that preceded it that sort of set me up to kind of take responsibility for for this um, mm-hmm. thing that I had no responsibility for, you know, mm-hmm. and to carry that around with me for all those years, believing mm-hmm. that, you know, I had done that. So um, that was a, that was a, yet another benefit that I got from right. from doing this work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we have um, just one more minute before we have to close, but Jan, I wanted to make sure to give you the chance to share more about um, where people can find info on EMDR, um, how to find specialists in their area, and what's the best way for them to do so. Well, there's tons of stuff on the web. Just Google EMDR, you'll come up with all sorts of things. My website, I don't have this in the book and all this information on my site yet. I'll get it there at some point. But <laughs> my website is where I do talk some about EMDR and there are links to other sources. Um, it is Jan, J-A-N, I have a very strange last name, so it, it's difficult. But J-A-N, C like cat, E-H like Harry, N like Nancy, L-C-S-W, which stands for Licensed Clinical Social Worker, dot com. And so that's one way. If anyone on there, you can see my addresses, my phone number. If anyone wants to call me to just talk more about this, I'm very open. My email's on there, all of that. Also to find experienced therapists in other areas, emdria, E-M-D-R-I-A dot com, or might be dot org, actually, is an international association um, that lists all kinds of things, links to, to research, links to practitioners all over the world. So that's Mm. another way to get people. And I want to add one other thing. We really focused on EMDR being used for trauma. But Mm -hmm. since it's been around and it's been used so much over the years, it's now used for many, many other issues as well. Addiction, Mm. phobias, Mm. complicated grief, dissociative disorders, and more. And I've been using it, interestingly, with um, people and kids for performance enhancement. Mm. Working students to bring um, their testing scores. You know how the SAT, ACT scores up as well mm-hmm. as just helping them in school, be more focused. So it's really an incredible treatment. We're finding more and more uses for it. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting to hear. I didn't know that. That's wonderful mm-hmm. to hear. And is that, are other professionals using it in that broad way as well, or is that kind of case by case? Well, others are. I know there are people who specialize in working with, with clients who are dissociative, which is a very mm-hmm. difficult you know, one being multiple personality, what have been called multiple personality disorders, mm-hmm. which is, you know, using it for that. So they're really, it depends, different people's interests. They're specific. Right. Um, I've been using it some for addiction. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of work, you know, it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's wonderful. Great, great responses. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so great. Oh, well, thank you both so much for being on today. It was wonderful to hear both of you share um, such wonderful information, and I uh, really appreciate it. And um, with that, we're going to close, but um, we'll be back next Tuesday, 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and have a wonderful day. Thanks again. Thank you. 
Thank you again for listening. Be sure to tune in to Therapeutic Approach to Growth and join Brooke Wagner again every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.